0: So we're on part nine tonight on how to be holy. And just so you, you know, I think, uh, there's 21 parts. And so when you see 21 at the top, we're done with this topic. And when I finish with this, uh, uh, series, I was thinking I'd go on to a, uh, uh, go back to a series on prophecy. I did that, uh, in the adult, uh, class between services here last year. And, but it's, So many cool things happening in the news every day. I thought it might be a good one to revisit. I'll see uh, what I uh, think. I I think probably when we get to number 21, we'll already be gone. So it'll be kind of a moot point. So how to be holy. And uh, we talked about, just a quick review, the reason that I want to be holy and the reason you want to be holy, we want to pursue righteousness, is because... What we are in character the day that we step into heaven is what we are. And so we've been given this life to grow, to become like Christ. And so the average Christian everywhere, I just run into it constantly, thinks that it doesn't matter. We're saved, that's it, period. And then when we step into heaven, we get zapped. And then we're fixed. We're made like Jesus just instantly when we step into heaven. I don't. I think probably 90% of Christians believe that to be true. And when you believe that to be true, you have lost all motivation to pursue righteousness because it doesn't really matter if you're righteous in this life or not because, after all, you're saved by grace, not by works. You go into heaven and God's going to fix you, make you like him when you step into glory. So we're just treading water here until we get into heaven. But the fact is the Bible doesn't teach that at all. And what we are, this life is designed by God to grow us into the image of Christ. And when you step into glory, you're cooked. That is, who you are is who you are. And you may think, well, it doesn't matter. Well, it does. Because those who are most like Christ will enjoy him most. Those who are most like Christ, he will enjoy most. And so I like to go fishing with people who are like me. I don't take my little grandkids because they're a pain in a boat. I love them to death, but I'm not taking them fishing. And so we get to heaven and we go fishing. Jesus is going to go fishing with the ones that are like him in character. And so the term to be like Jesus in character that's in the New Testament repeatedly, a dozen times you will find it as the word perfect Perfect. That doesn't mean sinless. It means grown up, mature like Christ. And so you see James as an example. Considered all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if you're just going to get fixed when you step into heaven, just cut that verse out of your Bible. And all the others that talk about being made perfect, Uh, So God is going to do everything that he can orchestrating circumstances in my life to move me towards Christ-like character. But I have to cooperate with the process and I have to pursue it. That's why the command repeatedly is given, pursue righteousness, pursue righteousness, pursue righteousness. And the, the average individual doesn't because they have no motive. And so I have a strong motive personally because I believe that what I am when I step into heaven, that's who I am. And I don't want to be a baby when I step into heaven and be stuck there. I want to be grown up like Jesus, mature, so I can enjoy Him and He can enjoy me and I can enjoy heaven. So in your notes, number one, a major key to growing in righteousness and holiness is a strong fear of the Lord. Strong fear of the Lord. Often people will ask me, Pastor D, what's it mean when it says in the Bible to fear the Lord? I said, let me give you the deepest, most profound answer according to the Greek. Are you ready? It means to fear the Lord. No, no, I mean, what does it really mean? That's what it means, to fear the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves Cleanse ourselves, that means to become holy, from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness, that is, we become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, like Christ in character because of or by the motivation, fearing the Lord. Number two, the foundation of the fear of God is a very strong belief that He is omnipresent. He is present at the farthest star, and he is always with us. He is with us now. Wherever I go, he is. Wherever you go, he is. But the problem is that we are often totally unaware of his presence. I think the average believer, if God were to all of a sudden manifest his presence so we could see him, we would be totally shocked. But he is with us all the time, continually, continually. Psalms 139, verse 9, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, Surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Number three, God is omnipresent, but not just in a passive way, not just like the oxygen that we are walking in. He is very interested in us. He wants us to become like himself, and he is scrutinizing every second of our life. So, we talked about this before, but I'll, I'll go over it again real quick. When God created Adam in a moment of time, from a pile of dirt there he was how much character did he have the answer is none he may have been physically mature but character wise he was not he had none character is not created character is developed character is grown and uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 it says God the Father perfected his son the author of our our salvation he perfected his son and you think what does that mean he perfected jesus i thought jesus was perfect it doesn't it's not talking about sin it's talking about character jesus was born without character he was born like us and so he grew in character and it says that god the father perfected his own son through sufferings through sufferings and so god the father orchestrated the environment of Jesus, his son, on this planet perfected his character, and Jesus cooperated totally, so he grew and became perfect in character, and so that's the same thing that we need to do. Adam was created in a moment of time with no character, and God created an environment, this world, like a greenhouse, perfect as an environment for growing character, The devil was created by God for a purpose, and that purpose was to be for us an adversary because we needed an adversary in order to grow. The trials, everything, all details of life were designed by God to grow us into the character of Christ. But the one thing that's often missing is our cooperation. We have to cooperate. We have to pursue righteousness as he provides the environment. Psalms 33, 13, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. Number four, God sees everything that we do. He hears everything that we say. He knows everything that we think. He understands what our motives are. And in fact, he understands what our motives are better than we do. So when we talk about the omnipresence of God, God is around me and he sees me and he hears me And he knows my every thought. And he knows my deepest motive. He knows what they are. And from his observation of my life. And my words and my thoughts and my motives. uh, He knows where I'm at on the scale of no character to perfect character. And he's doing everything that he can to move me. Move me. Always moving me towards Christ-like character. Psalms 139, verse 1, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Number five, as God watches us, watches our uh, us live our lives, he rewards good behavior, and he disciplines wrong behavior in order to motivate us to live righteously. So he's motivating us in this life, and he's also motivating us by uh, the judgment seat of Christ and the fact that who we are, what we are, the day we step into heaven is who we are. And so because we don't think very well about the future eternity, then God Motivates us every single day by the quality of our life. Deuteronomy 28, 1. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you, overtake you, if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country, blessed shall... "...be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, the young of your flock, blessed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl, blessed shall you be when you come in, blessed shall you be when you go out." That's a lot of blessings. And the condition. Obeying him, pursuing righteousness, being holy. In the New Testament, Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, which was basically the essence of everything he preached wherever he went. "...blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who want very much to be righteous. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. And so Jesus said, Bless, 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 bless. The word blessed means happy. And that's a reward that he brings into our life as we grow, as we become perfect, as we obey Him. And on the other hand, Hebrews chapter 12, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. So that we may share his holiness. That we may become like him in character. So if that doesn't matter. He's just going to fix us. Why bother? That we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so God is working in my life and in yours to produce in us the character of Christ. Uh, holiness, righteousness. Righteousness. So one of the uh, things that's important is that when a bad thing happens to James, a trial comes into his life, I don't think, okay, let's see, James has been bad. That's why that happened. The Bible is really clear on this one. You need to figure out why things happening to you, what's the reason? Because there's four reasons why bad things happen to me and to you. One of them is bad things happen to everybody because we live in this world. Uh, The word says it's like rain. You walk out in Oregon, rain falls on my bald head, rain falls on Bill's bald head. It doesn't make any difference if I've been good or bad, rain falls on my head, falls on everybody's head. Bad things happened to every individual in the world. One of the reasons bad things happen to people is not because of anything they've done. It's just because God's wanting to turn up the heat just a little bit to help them grow. So why did Job go through what he went through? There's a number of reasons, but one of them wasn't that he was being punished. That's clear through the book. His friends kept saying, Job, what is it you've done? Confess, come on, come on. Uh, and God... Uh, punish them at the end for their uh, judgmental attitude and their being poor friends. And sometimes bad things happen to people because God's going to fix it in a miraculous way to bring glory to himself. The disciples said to Jesus, why come this guy's sick? He sinned or did his parents sin? Jesus said, neither one. He's sick because God's going to heal him and bring glory to himself. And sometimes that's why bad things happen is because God's going to intervene in a miraculous way and glorify himself through that event. So when something happens to me that's not pleasant. Okay, let's see. Is it this one, this one, this one, or this one? If I don't know, I'm going to assume it's because God's disciplining me. I'm just going to assume that because if I do, then it'll motivate me. It'll motivate me because I don't like that happening. Now, I don't always do that. So I got, was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And for the next three months, I was really, really depressed and I asked the question over and over again, Lord, why? What have I done? How come? What's the deal? And then I kind of came to my senses and I thought, bad things happen to everybody. And I began realizing that all of a sudden, I was doing things that I had not done before. I was exercising an hour every day when I had never done that before. And I was feeling a lot better because I was. And I was, because of that discipline, I was reading my Bible more faithfully. I was memorizing Scripture better. And a whole lot of things changed. I told somebody the other day, the best thing ever happened to me was getting Parkinson's. But at the time, I couldn't figure out what the deal was. And uh, you might have, from a distance, said, Oh, Pastor D has committed some bad sin. I hope he repents before he dies. Uh, So I don't do that to you, and you don't do that to me. But we do understand that God loves us, and he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And so he will discipline us like a father disciplines his children. And the reason is because he wants us to share his holiness. Number six, there are very many blessings given to the person who genuinely fears the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is a quality that we develop. That is where we practice his presence around us. We recognize the blessings, we recognize the disciplines, and we're motivated by those. Psalms twenty-five twelve. who is the man who fears the Lord? He, God, will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity. His soul will abide in prosperity. That's his character, will grow. And his descendants, that's his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren, will inherit the land, the secret of the Lord. You know what my kids do? They'll say, and my wife cooperates with them. They'll say, Dad, we have a secret. I will say, oh, okay, what is it? We're not telling And it will aggravate me terribly. And they wait for me to beg. Come on, come on. Tell me the secret. No, we're not telling you the secret. I don't think they ever had a secret. They just decided to say they had a secret so they could see me be irritated and aggravated. And then I'll tell Patty. Patty, would you talk to those kids and tell them to quit doing that? But look at this. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. And so the deep things of the Lord I will know because I fear Him. Psalms thirty-three eighteen. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Psalms thirty-four seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. Psalms thirty-four nine. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. Psalms 103.10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His lovingkindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. Just as a Father has compassion on His children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Psalms 103.17, The lovingkindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. In His righteousness to children's children... Psalms one eleven, verse ten The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalms one twelve, one through two Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants, his children, his grandchildren, will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Psalms one fifteen, thirteen, He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Psalms 128, verses 1 through 4. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now, you know one of the rewards you get for fearing the Lord? You get eight children. You'll, You'll see it right here. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy. It will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. See that? Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. means you have lots of kids. <laughs> your children, like olive plants around your table, behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. It says you will be happy. It will be well with you when you fear the Lord. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord favors those who fear him. I have a t-shirt. I think I told you about it. God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. If I want to start conversations, I wear it when I go fishing uh, in Alaska where there's people everywhere. They look at that and it always spawns a, a, a conversation. I'm God's favorite. It says there, the Lord favors those who fear Him. Seven. The fa- the phrase "fear the Lord" is probably the phrase that most accurately describes a healthy relationship with God. I got the wrong notes. That's next week's sermon. Huh. Let's see, how did that get in there? That's part nine. It's supposed to be part eight. How come you let me do that? (laughs) So, we've got a couple of options. I can try to guess what's in the lines. I'll just use the screen. Okay, put the next slide up there, please. Huh? I kind of messed it all up. Probably You're probably scratching your head trying to figure out where I was. I'm sorry. I don't know how I did that. I just grabbed the wrong notes. Okay, six is God watches us live our lives. He rewards good behavior in order to motivate us to live righteously. <laughs> Tough to get old. Okay, next slide. Is this the end of the sermon? I can't hear what anybody's saying, so... Seven, okay. There we go. God also disciplines wrong behavior in order to cause us to repent and pursue righteousness. Righteousness. So I kind of said that, just in a different way. So next sermon's got a little review at the front. All right. Next slide. Huh? That's the sermon? Wow, that's a short one. You know, I went fast because uh, it was review, but it wasn't supposed to be review. So, uh, sorry about that. We'll get done early for prayer. Let me just tell you a couple of stories. Back when uh, we were just in the old sanctuary, we didn't have any other buildings. When we first built it, inside the the back part, there were no walls. And uh, we had folding partitions when we wanted classrooms and then we opened it up when we wanted to have a big party. And so I was walking down where the present kitchen is in the front part and those were partitions. And we built them ourselves out of paneling and two by fours with hinges. So there was about a quarter inch crack between each of the two foot panels that folded up uh, when you wanted to open it up. And so I'm walking down there and I heard my son, Sam, who at the time was about eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there in the classroom uh, the other side of the wall and he was not uh, it didn't sound like he was being good so I stopped and I peeked through the crack watched him for a few minutes and I was right he was not being good not at all so there was a door in the thing and I walked to the back opened it walked in sat down and he cut uh, uh, out of the corner as I saw me and his behavior changed totally he became the best kid in the class And so I stayed there until the class was over. And then when we got home that afternoon, I said, Sam, do you remember when I stepped into your class? He said, yes. I said, before I did, I stopped and I peeked through the crack in the thing. I watched you for several minutes and you were being very bad. So every time I walk by that wall, I'm going to stop and watch you and see how you're doing. And if you ever act like you did today, again... You're going to dig a ditch from here to Jefferson. You understand? He said, yes, sir. So a couple of weeks went by and I asked Mrs. Lee. I said, Mrs. Lee, how's my son Sam been doing? He's been very good, just good as gold. But he's kind of developed this little tick. I said, what do you mean? He keeps looking at the wall. <laughs> what do you call that? It's the fear of dad. So when I'm present, his behavior elevated tremendously. Fear of God is being aware of his presence, recognizing he sees what we do, he hears what we say, he knows what we think, he knows our motives, and he's constantly rewarding right behavior and disciplining wrong behavior. All the time. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you will reap. And so... I don't know about you, but I like catching fish as opposed to not catching fish. And so there was a stretch up in Alaska this last year. I mean, I always catch fish, and I usually catch more than anybody else, but there was this half-a-day period where I didn't catch a single fish and everybody was catching fish. And I'm thinking, what's the deal here? Then I had a thought. I've been up here for five days, and I have not read my Bible one time. Now I don't know if that thought came from the Lord or not but I automatically assumed that catching no fish was not an issue of skill because I was doing the thing I always do and it wasn't an issue of no fish because everybody else was catching fish. What other reason could there be? Is it just random? just arbitrary, just happened to be. I just assumed, whether it was true or not, that God was getting my attention. And so I thought, oh yeah. So I prayed a little prayer. I said, Lord, I repent. When I get back to the cabin, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read it for two hours straight. I'm going to catch up. I don't know whether I'm catching not catching fish because of that, but I know that's not what I should be doing. That's a wrong thing to do. Now it could have been just coincidence. But fish on. Thank you, Lord, thank you. So say I I don't know, but I'm of the opinion, I journaled in my journal. I think I might have even written a blog about it. Today the Lord disciplined me. Isn't a big deal, not catching fish? But it was for me. And it wasn't uh, that big a sin, though uh, it's one I preach at you all about all the time. And so I repented and things changed. So live life paying attention to what's coming into your life all day long. Recognize that God continually rewards right behavior, continually disciplines, scourges those whom he loves for wrong behavior, and examine your own life. Figure out, what is it I'm doing? How am I acting? What's pleasing the Lord? What isn't? We're pursuing righteousness, and God's going to help us. He's going to coach us. He's like a potter with a piece of clay molding and shaping us into the image of Jesus. And so... The fear of the Lord. Perfect holiness in the fear of God. Have you ever memorized that verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 1? I recommend you do that. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The fear of God is you're aware of his presence all the time, as clearly as if you could see him. You recognize that he sees everything you do. He hears everything you speak. He knows everything you think, and he knows your motives better than you do. And so I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because I know he knows what I'm thinking. One of the rewards and lack of rewards that I take seriously is God giving me more to do, putting me in the game instead of keeping me on the bench. Nobody does anything for God unless he gives it to you to do, and he gives it to you to do as a reward. And so I'm always saying, Lord, give me more, more. I want more to do. I want to reach more people, and I don't want to be on the bench. And so when a thought pops into my head that's wrong, you can't see what it is. You don't know what it is, but I know God does. And so I immediately set my mind on a verse I've memorized that's contrary to that thought. If it's a prideful thought, if it's an arrogant thought, if it's a critical, judgmental thought, then a verse that I go to is, uh, 1 Peter 5, 5, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And uh, several other I have memorized in that regards. And uh, if it's an immoral thought, I go to 2 uh, Timothy two twenty. If a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work, prepared for every good work, useful to the master. If he cleanses himself. And so I know that he knows what I'm thinking. And so I want to be useful to him, prepared for every good work. So I take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I like it when life goes well. And I don't like it when I get disciplined. So I'm motivated uh, to pursue righteousness, to to pursue holiness, to think about what I think, to examine my heart, my motives. And to talk right to people. And to make right choices. Because God sees everything I do. And always rewards. And always disciplines. Whatever I sow. That's what I'll reap. And I'm motivated by that. The greatest motivation in my life. Is the judgment seat of Christ. I will stand before him. And be held accountable for how I've lived my life. And what I've done in this life. Those rewards of the judgment seat of Christ. Are eternal. And so I think about that. Every day, I think about what it's going to feel like when I hear him say, Well done, you did good, as opposed to, Boy, you didn't really need to spend quite that much time fishing. He probably had accomplished more for the kingdom. Uh, So I'm always thinking how I'm living my life, what I'm going to hear when I stand before him glory, praise, or uh, the opposite whether I'm going to be getting a cool job to do in eternity or whether I'm going to have to shovel horse poop. Um, somebody's going to have to shovel that stuff, and uh, I hope it's not me. So thinking about heaven, the judgment seat of Christ, recognizing he is everywhere all the time, that's an attitude that you have to develop practicing, uh, living as if God sees all that you do. You keep working on it, keep working on it. Do you know the best exercise there is to develop that? It's prayer. Because when you pray, you're praying to somebody, and you know they hear you, and you know they're present. And so with that, I'll pray, and we'll quit. And you could go to the five days of prayer if you wanted, as long as you're already here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You want us to be like you more than we want to be like you. We get distracted by the world, our flesh, the devil, um, this sort of pulls us away from that motive of pleasing you and living for you growing to be like you and I pray that you would uh, mold us into the image of Christ make us like yourself and then prompt us Lord always to cooperate with that process to pursue righteousness to pursue holiness to want to be like you forever and ever and ever and we would just understand what it's all about and what ought to motivate us. We want to be like you so we can enjoy you, you can enjoy us because we love you. Thank you for this time. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.